The CFB Winning Edge 2020 FBS Review Podcast Series is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Support from our patrons help us fund updates, improvements, and special projects. It also keeps our weekly shows ad-free. As part of our review series, our patrons will also receive visuals we refer to during the show, with additional stats, rankings, notes, and more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to sign up. And new in 2021, annual members receive 18% off, two months free on a 12-month subscription. Thank you to all of our patrons for your generous support, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition is here. It's a little late. That is on me. I had some family stuff I had to take care of this week, but uh, you guys know me, Scott Bogman, at Bogman Sports on the Twitter. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish. And today we are going to be going over the next 10 teams in the group we started from the bottom and now we're at 120 and moving on up so uh the teams are getting better uh they're not all you know we're we're finding some silver linings here for some of them (laughs) but uh you know we got recruiting classes to talk about and let's just start there nick because um you know the uh the signing day happened and uh, alabama had another just insane class the best class ever recorded uh but it seems to me like the recruiting classes and the rankings specifically they're going to have to start incorporating the transfer portal because some teams kind of went away we're going to talk about texas state in this show today and they went all the way away from uh, recruiting and right to the transfer portal. So uh, great, you know, another fun national signing day. Don't know how Texas wound up below Tennessee with all their issues, but that did happen. So not not exactly uh, crazy excited about that, but uh, signing day and the transfer portal and all that good stuff, Nick. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, I, I am not a huge recruiting guy. I mean, recruiting ratings are the number one ingredient when we start building our individual player ratings, and they do have a lot of, uh, you know, they, they, they certainly are uh, helpful. They, they are predictive, especially at the very top. Um, and, you know, they, they have some value for sure. There certainly are plenty of cases where underrated guys end up, you know, coming in, overachieving and all that. But for the most part, you know, I, I don't pay much attention to recruiting until everything is done. And for the most part, that meant, you know, this day in February, the first Wednesday in, in February, which used to be, you know, like a national holiday for college football fans. But as you mentioned, it's it's changed so much with the uh, first signing period now starting in December. That's when most uh, classes are basically wrapped up. And then, of course, as you said, the, the transfer portal, uh, those are starting to get, I don't know if they're officially calculated into the uh, rankings at, at uh, 247, but I know that they do now list transfers alongside the, the you know, recruiting classes. So I think they're definitely moving in that direction. And, and uh, everybody knows that, you know, by now the transfer portal is, is such a big uh, factor 
in especially you know this this part of the uh, the rankings. I mean, you mentioned Texas State; they're a perfect example. People are talking about how they didn't bring in a single uh, high school uh, signee uh, through uh, Wednesday. There's time. I think players can sign through August. So uh, I saw that in, in the athletic, uh, Jake Spavital uh, was interviewed and, and mentioned that they would like to bring in a few high school players before all is said and done. But uh, as of right now, it just hasn't really worked out that way. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about them specifically. But this, for me, you know, signing day is kind of the, uh, you know, now, now, I've always I've been looking ahead to 2021 for a couple of months now, but this is, you know, now it's, it's go time. Basically our 2021 team profiles are officially uh, under construction. And, and one of the last pieces that I kind of have to wait on are these classes to get finalized. Cause I want those recruiting ratings to be the very last, you know, update. Uh, I don't want to have old information in there if a guy rises or falls or, or what have you, as we're using those for the next four or five years to calculate uh, guys' player ratings. So uh, anyway, that that's just on on my end. But it is a good marker. It is interesting to look through the ratings, see or through the rankings, who's higher than you expected, who's lower than you expected, uh, who is just kind of completely ignoring it. Like Texas State, Utah State, WKU are kind of in that range as well, just really going in on transfers uh, because of for the most part, coaching transition and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, some teams like tr- Texas State decide, hey, we've uh, got an opportunity for guys who've gone out to other places for the most part. We've talked about SMU in the past and, and USF is an example. We'll talk about a little bit today. But, you know, hey, maybe you're from Texas. You went away, uh, didn't work out for whatever reason, want to come a little closer to home, have an opportunity to, to play at a level in a conference where there's not a huge gap between the best in the the league and, and the worst. And so even though a two and 10 Texas Tech, uh, Texas state team, uh, you know, finished as, as they did as low in the standings as they did, they're not that far away from really competing uh, to, to get into that middle group in the, the Sun Belt or, or, you know, really not too far away uh, from making a run at, at winning the title. If everything clicks right. And some of these transfers, uh, you know, play up to the level that you expected when they signed originally with Texas Tech or Utah State or, uh, you know, they, they've got some guys in Texas. They've, they've got an offensive lineman. So uh, it, it's interesting to see it all play out. But uh, as a marker, it, it's really kind of the last hurdle for me personally, getting ready for 2021. Now it's OK. I've got finalized recruit information, put all that uh, in our spreadsheets and, and uh, let's get to work getting all these rosters and everything updated and, and get our new FBS team profiles to our patrons uh, looking like April 1st. So hopefully, hopefully before, but at least by then. So Xavier, I know you said you watched the, the um, signing day on Wednesday has uh, the transfer portal and the earlier, you know, signing date has that kind of uh, leveled out the excitement for uh, this one in February a little bit, or is it still pretty good? It's okay. Uh, this is a weird year, and, I, and I'll give this year a mulligan when we talk about recruiting uh, because this year, and to your point, why Tennessee finished above you guys was because of the Hendon Hooker decision. Um, you guys literally finished like three points. They finished like three p- recruiting points ahead of you guys. And uh, Nick, to answer your question, they do put in transfer points, hmm. but they use their high school ranking. 
Oh, okay. So Hendon Hooker was a four-star coming out of high school. He was a 93-rated quarterback. So they add that instead of adding whatever he might be now. So that's why they that's how they add that on two four seven, but yeah, so that's why you know Tennessee was higher than Texas is because of the Hendon Hooker decision. But this year was uh, an unprecedented year uh, when we look at recruiting. When we look at the top twenty five in twenty twenty, as far as recruiting is concerned, every team in the top twenty five of recruiting that year, except for one, used about ninety five percent of their scholarships, and we're talking about twenty one, twenty two, or twenty three signees, depending on how many. Uh, each team decides to use this year. We had six teams not use that same amount. And all six of those teams go less than 20 commitments on, on, on signing day or in general. And and so I think what we saw this year and me and Nick talked about it before the podcast is due to the NCAA's ruling on this year being essentially not counting for a lot of, for, you know, your years, as opposed to your eligibility, we saw a lot of teams kind of stand firm and stay pat with the guys that they have and because their seniors were able to stick around, we saw them not be so ready at, uh, so ready to sign your mid-level three stars to low-level four stars uh, for a lot of your top 25 programs. Um, and this is also, and we'll see this, you know, with some of the teams we talked to talk about today, hit the transfer portal hard and were like, and stayed very, very far away from the young kids coming out of high school due to the fact that they have a lot of freshmen and sophomores not losing a year whatsoever. Uh, so that was a big thing, big takeaway from signing day. And to your point, yes, the early signing day period has taken away a lot of the excitement because now you don't have to wait because a lot of the top recruits sign in December uh, as opposed to in February now. One, um, one thing I forgot to mention is part of the reason that maybe some teams are, are more uh, hesitant to you know bring on high school guys this year is we saw some state you know some states didn't play a fall high school season we saw some uh, you know camps were not a thing or or they were severely scaled back or you couldn't do everything you traditionally would do uh, during the summer this this past year so I think there were some coaches and and this was mentioned a little bit in that athletic, uh, athletic uh, article about Texas State earlier today, but um, you know there are some coaches that just didn't feel comfortable with with not getting to put their eyes on a player in person. And you know some of these transfers, you did have a relationship, even if they uh, you know went somewhere else, uh, were able to to build relationships with a head coach or an assistant coach, and uh, you know through that earlier recruiting process, and and then. Uh, we're able to keep lines of communication open and, and, you know, have a little bit more familiarity than with a player who uh, you haven't seen in camp or you haven't seen, uh, you know, as many, uh, you know, uh, on-field reps and in, in, right. in study and in, in, uh, their high school tape and, and whatnot. So it's a it's a it's just a really odd situation overall. And this class is, I think, going to be pretty fascinating to look back on in general because I, I – think that we will, of course, see a lot of transfers from here on out. That doesn't seem to be going away, but I think we're going to see more this year than ever. And part of it, of course, is, is due to the pandemic and, and all the uh, hurdles that were associated with it. But also, I'm, I'm curious, are there players who really slip through the cracks? And yeah, Alabama put, you know, the, the number one uh, recruiting class in the country or in, in history, in the in history of the recruiting era together. But you know, are are we sure that the uh, players that they signed would be the exact same players if the entire country 
played a full, you know, 2020 fall season? Uh, were there some guys that would have blossomed into five-star players that really flew under the radar and end up going to junior college or, a, 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 you know, G5 program or something like that? So I'm, I'm curious to see how all that shakes out. I'm sure, you know, how this Alabama class is going to go on to great success and, and do a lot of great things. But, you know, maybe there's not as big a gap between, uh, you know, the, the number – eight class or the number 11 class right. and the number 40 classes there were, you know, in the past. And and so it's, it's really going to be something I'm curious to watch is will there be a difference in, in this year's group of players compared to, you know, years past or years after because of that uh, just sort of complete uh, upending of the recruiting process that happened this year that should be hopefully uh, very unique compared to, to years in the future and, and certainly was a complete departure in a lot of ways from years past. Yeah, I mean, uh, also, you know, the coaches not being able to get in front of the the students and talk to them is probably why Bama had the best class ever, you know, is because it's more based on their resume as well. You know, just like uh, the kids had weren't going to the schools as often. They weren't talking to the coaches in person, which is, text messages and you know all that stuff so um i bet that had a big factor in it too and i listened to daniel jeremiah talking about uh the nfl and uh you know how the combine worked last year with no pro days and having to go off of film more than anything else and it actually made the the way that this uh you know draft class worked for the nfl it, there was more success with these rookies uh even without uh, camp and all that stuff because they did more of their evaluation just on tape. So it could actually make it better. So uh, I don't think high school works the same way as college. As far Fair. as recruiting goes, you have a way more crisp product uh, coming out of college and going in the NFL, obviously, than going from high school to college football. But that could be it could be a deciding factor and it could be a weird trickle down that we see uh, moving forward uh, because this is all involuntary. Uh, for the last two seasons. But uh, a couple of the classes here, Kansas ranked 49th in the 247 uh, composite ratings. That was very impressive. UNLV uh, 68th uh, and landed 19 three-star um, prospects. They passed Boise State uh, for second in the Mountain West rankings and um, uh, ranked top 10 among G5 programs, according to CFP Winning Edge's rankings. So uh, Utah State is another team that, uh, you know, leaned heavily on the transfer portal, but they ranked 150, uh, 135th in 247's rankings. And uh, Western Kentucky and Texas State, I think Texas State, I just looked it up right before we started the school or the, the show, uh, their school was a hundred and eighty seventh as far as the recruiting class went because they're using a lot of those high school numbers like Xavier pointed out to us before. And um, yeah, I mean, just a, a lot of news here, Nick, uh, you, you, what are you, what were your thoughts on the, these themselves, some of these schools getting decent recruiting classes or worse recruiting classes that we're not kind of used to seeing. Yeah. And, and these are teams that we talked about last week. So, you know, from here on out, as we discuss, uh, you know, Temple today or FIU or whatever, we will, uh, you know, be able to say, okay, this is what the class 
officially looked like coming in and what we can expect and, and all of that. And uh, we, we is still finding good. silver linings for those teams he put at the bottom. He still feels bad. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, <that's what> he <laughs> does. You know, it's 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 just one. Just if there were things of note that maybe we didn't mention uh, last week, you know, as is customary. It seems every time we do a podcast, uh, some news breaks right after we post the show that we would have talked about, you know, had it had it come up an hour or two earlier. And Kansas gave us some of that last week. Brett Deerman, their uh, offensive coordinator, right after we, we recorded uh, the version of this show last week that, that talked about Kansas, uh, he left for Middle Tennessee. And, and since then, Kansas has brought in uh, Mike DeBoard as a new offensive coordinator who, you know, a lot of people roll their eyes at. Uh, very experienced, but not necessarily a lot of success and and kind of uh, old school, uh, you know, wouldn't kind of a departure because there were people excited about uh, Dearman's youth and kind of, you know, innovative uh, thinking way of doing things and whatnot. So in a way it's, it's uh, not necessarily, you know, going to get a lot of people uh, excited about Kansas football, but when you bring in the best recruit that you've had in a generation, uh, then there's there's certainly some reason maybe to be excited. And, and they brought in a four-star receiver, uh, Quadarius Davis uh, from Dallas, who is a legit big-time blue-chip prospect. And you expect a player of that caliber uh, going to show up and be a day-one starter at Kansas. And maybe that gives you a little bit of a spark and it gives uh, the new offensive coordinator a weapon to maybe build a, an offense around. So uh, kind of interesting just to, to look at some of those situations that, that you know, now we know a little bit more about those teams than we did this time last week. But a couple of, uh, you know, just transfer notes, of course, again, after we recruit or uh, record a, a podcast about running backs, uh, Boise State landed Cyrus Habibi Likio uh, from Oregon that we talked about, Old Dominion, who we'll talk about today. I talked about Ricky Slade probably, what, 25% of the time last you week. You are and a Ricky he's Slade no longer. Yeah. I was, I, you know, I thought that, that Penn State could do some really interesting things with him, and he ends up transferring. And, and I don't know if it's, you know, he's – transferring somewhere else i don't know if he got himself in, in trouble i don't know if he's stepping away from football i haven't found the details yet but uh yeah anyway so that was part of it and then ulm a team that we talked about last week uh saw according to our numbers their best offensive lineman uh transfer to a rival louisiana who we'll talk about in several weeks because they finished in our, our top 40, but uh, ULM maybe getting worse before things get better there. But yeah, you know, putting a, putting a bow on those bottom 10 teams with some recruiting news and uh, some transfers in and out as well. Uh, all right. So are you guys ready to dive into the teams that we have listed here today? Let's do it. All right. So the first school that we have, uh, we are uh, going to start with temple. They were one in six last year. Uh, they started 40 different players. Only five started. Only five of their players started all seven games. Uh, the only time the same offensive line combination started twice was weeks three and four against Memphis and Tulane. Uh, over the first three weeks of the season, the team's leading tackle was injured, preventing him from playing the rest of the year. Uh, Isaiah Mobley at Navy. 
Vandy Rigby against USF and Audley Isaacs all never played again after the first three weeks of the season and all three weeks in a row. Uh, it was a rough year for them. They got some good transfers in. Juan mm -hmm. Mathis from Georgia. Ravon Bonner from Illinois, the running back in uh, Florida transfer, Iverson Clement from, uh, the, was a running back as well. But they had 16 players leave through the portal and the 105th ranked class here, Nick. So uh, tell us how you see 2021 going for Temple. I think that there's a chance. And, and, and before I say this, I, I do understand the transfer portal goes both ways and, and guys are coming in, as you mentioned, Will Rogers, who who had a, a fairly successful, pretty productive career as a pass rusher at Washington State, also transferred to, to Temple. So I, I do understand that there's the ability to continue to bring guys in and upgrade the talent level. But uh, last year was was basically a disaster for Temple. They were uh, just ravaged by COVID at the end of the year. Wasn't sure they would have enough players to play. Uh, you know, the last several games, we had starters uh, getting, you know, every week, as you mentioned, injured. Uh, and, and then guys having to deal with, with COVID issues. And, and they just could not get any, you know, sense of stability going. Uh, one, they also started the season much, much later than basically every uh, American team did. So uh, it was just an, a complete inability to find consistency and, and uh, the roster was in constant turnover for a variety of reasons. And, and that turnover will continue because they lost, as you mentioned, so many players to the transfer portal. Uh, by my count, they've eight players who started in 2020 have transferred to other FBS teams. Seven of those actually go into power five teams. So not only are they losing just numbers, they're losing their best players. They're losing starters. They lost, you know, multi-year transfer quarterback Anthony Russo is going to Michigan State, for example. Starting left tackle Vincent Picozzi is is uh, in the transfer portal going to Colorado State. They, prior to this year, lost Quincy Roche, right, One of, who ends up uh, becoming one of the best pass rushers, ends up in the, the senior bowl, as his teammate Kenny Eboa, who goes to Ole Miss, uh, and Roche, of course, went to – uh, to Miami. So, you know, this has been a multi-year problem. They're losing guys to Penn State, to Boston College, to Rutgers, and it, it's very difficult to uh, climb out of that hole just from a roster standpoint, you know, especially when you're losing guys who had been starters, had been at the top of the depth chart. So I'm really concerned that Temple could be among the worst teams in college football. And, yeah. you know, we, we didn't get the best version of them because they had so many roster issues during the course of the year. So, I, I you know, this was a better team probably uh, than one in six, you know, or had we been able to, to play a normal year. This is not a team I would have expected to finish something like two and ten or three and nine. It, it was a team that had the potential at least to be a 500 team. But, you know, this isn't that team anymore so much has changed since then it's you know yeah Dwan Mathis high level transfer coming from Georgia started the season as Georgia's starting quarterback but was replaced pretty quickly didn't look like uh you know he, he was going to be a, a star player looked like the you know wasn't ready to play in those first couple of weeks so will he be able to recapture what made him a four-star 
uh, transfer and, and, you know, get up to speed and, and become a full-time starter and a, a good player for Temple. We'll just have to see. But they're not only, like I said several times, losing among their best players. They're having to rely on guys coming in that have, you know, potentially their own uh, things that they will be dealing with. So it's not necessarily a, a perfect, uh, you know, replacement. It, 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 we talk about college football free agency, but, you know, even, even – Big time transfers coming from big time programs aren't always, uh, you know, uh, perfect fits coming into a new place, and and so it, it it's a very interesting team. Temple intrigues me for a lot of reasons, partly because I, I don't know how much weight to put on what I saw in 2020, but also partly because I I don't see a lot of reason to be optimistic. Um, they've addressed some issues. They had ranked 130th on a running back. Rankings. You mentioned they brought in two power five transfers. Will it work out? Will it not? I'm not sure. Offensively, overall from a talent level, 129th in the country uh, because they lost so many guys uh, at the end of the year. They're addressing that through the transfer portal, through recruiting. How much? How high can that that number go up? It's going to be that's a that's a big hill to climb to get back into the top 100 uh, as far as you know just overall talent on the offensive side of the football. So. I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 hopeful because I think Temple has a history of success. Has been able to bring in really quality players and and be able to develop those guys under Matt Rule, under Rod Carey, and and be competitive year in and year out. But there's just so much turnover right now. Uh, I, I just I I don't have very high hopes uh, looking ahead to 2021. Yeah, I think uh, the word for Temple right now, Xavier, is messy. You know, as Nick describes it as, uh, you know, a lot of guys coming in and, and going out, uh, more going out than coming in, unfortunately, though, in the ones that are coming in, maybe have some issues, you know, scrolling down my initial look at Temple uh, when the week started and seeing the list that Nick put together and you just see, you know, leading passer transferred leading uh, rusher transferred leading tackler transferred best offensive lineman transferred it it. It does not look good. They got a couple good pieces here in the portal, like we mentioned, but not looking great for 2021 for Temple right now. Yeah, and even on the recruiting trail, which is what I'll be hitting on mostly here, it doesn't look great either. Uh, you know, they, they come out with eight transfers is what they were able to get uh, over this year, but five, six of them, excuse me. Oh, no, five of them are, are pending appeal. Uh, so we don't even know if those guys will be able to play right away. We talked about DeWine Mathis. He's still pending appeal. Uh, Iverson Clement still pending appeal. Uh, uh, pending appeal. So, you know, we, we look at even Temple from a recruiting standpoint, and it's not looking great for them either. You know, they ranked 105th nationally. They finished worse than they did in the AAC this, this year than they did last year. They were only able to bring in 14 commits this year. It's really not looking good from them, not not in uh, on a current front or a future front for them. Uh, and it's tough to see. I mean, this has been a Temple team that for the last couple of years has been a mainstay in the mid-tier, you know, to, to the top of the, the AAC. You know, they went 8-5 and five last year. They went 8-5 and five the year before that, 7-6 and six the year before that. Uh, and then, Nick, I want to ask you this question. Have they run out of great coaches at Temple, they they kind of hit a run there where they kind of continued to hit on really good head coaches. Matt Rule was there. Uh, Jeff Collins was also there for a while as well. And, and is there they were luck, really a stepping stone? Yeah. And, and is there luck running out with the head coaching uh, with head coaches at Temple to the point where they will have to sit in the bottom of the conference again or or, or around that range until they can find a way out? 
Well, it's it's uh, it's a pretty good transition point, actually, because, uh, you know, the, the uh, head coach at Temple the last couple of years is Rod Carey, who is at Northern right. Illinois, who is 119th in our rankings right now. So Rod Carey didn't necessarily leave Northern Illinois in a great spot. Uh, things have been trending in the wrong direction there under him. And, you know, we've seen through the last couple of years of, of the new regime, it's it's taken a little bit to uh, get things ramped back up again. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I know that there were some uh, Northern Illinois folks who weren't uh, incredibly sad to see Rod Carey leave or thought it might be a good opportunity for a change in leadership there. Uh, I, you know, he Rod Carey do, doesn't uh, grade out particularly well in our uh, head coaching ratings, 120, or excuse me, 99th uh, as, as a head coach. And some of that is he inherited a really good situation at Northern Illinois and had some success on the front end of his uh, tenure there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think that coaching is part of it because when I look at so much roster turnover, when I look at the best players leaving, uh, you know, without a ton of evidence, I, I like to reply, I like to rely on as much evidence as I can, but my, my, you know, inference is, Hey, if, if these are the guys that you're expecting to be your team leaders, your juniors, your seniors, your best players, and they're saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go uh, play somewhere else. That to me is a reflection on coaching, on the coaching staff. And, and if these were, you know, if the best players were bought in and these aren't necessarily players that, you know, that, that Kerry recruited. So it's on some level understandable. And a lot of them are having opportunities to go to, you know, power five programs. And you think, okay, that's somewhat understandable too. But then on the other hand, I think, hey, if they really believed in what is going on behind the scenes there at Temple. If they really believed in Rod Carey. They would say, "Hey, I want to. I want to stay here. I want to win a conference championship here, and you know, and, and see it through." And so I, I have to wonder if coaching uh, and, and sort of culture, more so even than just you know X's and O's and things like that, uh, if that's driving some of this uh, unease and and you know, just sort of uh, chaos, not chaos isn't the right word. Did you say, Scott, you used, you summed it up in a good, Messy. one good word. Yeah. Messy. And just sort of the messiness that that's going on there right now. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's certainly something to, to your thoughts out here. I agree. Well, it doesn't get better with the next team because Northern Illinois was 0-6, their first winless season uh, since 1997. They were <laughs> 119th in scoring defense, allowing 38.7 points per game. Now, uh, Coach Hammock does put a lot of emphasis on offseason workouts and practices and all that stuff, uh, but they had 15 transfers out, and Rocky Lombardi is their only transfer in. They were also the 91st-ranked recruiting class, so not as bad as some of the other schools on the list for today, but still not great, Nick. So Northern Illinois seems to also have uh, a lot of issues. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I have, I think, slightly more optimism about Northern Illinois than I do Temple, oddly enough. But they're facing a lot of the same issues. You, you mentioned the transfers going out and Northern Illinois has lost uh, a lot of starters. I mean, they, they lost, uh, what, four starters last year, uh, guys who started in 2019 who ended up going, uh, you know, 
Running back Trey Harbison went to Charlotte. Uh, tight end Mitchell Brinkman went to USF. They lost two defensive linemen to Iowa. Guys, they were really, you know, expecting big things from. Uh, in 2020, those guys end up leaving. And, and some of those situations, we'll talk about, uh, you know, other, other scenarios. Last week, Utah State being one, they ended up, you know, a guy who's now Justin Rice linebacker at Utah State left Fresno State, transferred to Arkansas State because the Mountain West uh, canceled its season, ends up following the, you know, uh, uh, Anderson, what's, what's his first name? There are two Andersons there <laughs> have been uh, by Brian. No, I don't know. Well, anyway, the, Blake, the new Anderson. Anderson. Blake Anderson. Blake Anderson. Thank okay. you. I, my mind went blank. Uh, fired, <laughs> fired, uh, followed him to Utah State. Well, maybe you were in Northern Illinois faced a little bit of that. There were some schools in the MAC who, who uh, lost a few players to the transfer portal immediately after canceling their season. And, and so some of that you can explain away, but the sheer numbers that Northern Illinois is dealing with are a little bit of an issue. But we're, we're talking about a head coach who, who was entering his second year last year. There's certainly, uh, you know, a lot of instances where we see roster turnover to kind of get guys who fit the new systems, fit the new culture. Uh, Hammock has a, a lot of NFL experience. You would expect that uh, recruits are going to be interested in that, has a lot of connections in the league, is you know uh, going to be able to, to sell his players to uh, scouts and coaches and, and whatnot, guys who are making decisions at the next level. Uh, so I, I think that there is some reason to be optimistic about that. A lot of the best players this year were true freshmen. Uh, you know, Trayvon Rudolph was an All-American, uh, freshman All-American kick returner. Uh, we had, you know, a couple of their best guys on defense were uh, true freshmen. Um, you know, uh, lineman Devontae O'Malley led the team only with two sacks, but was a true freshman. Uh, Jordan Hansen, a, a defensive back, led the team only with two interceptions, but true freshmen. So uh, there are you know, some reasons to be optimistic about that. They had uh, running backs who were brought in, first-year players uh, among the, the top two ball carriers. Uh, Tyrese Ritchie, they were able to bring back for a super senior season. He's a guy who has NFL potential. I, I think it's pretty clear to say an all-Mac wide receiver. And, and then, uh, you know, so, so there's some reason to be optimistic there. But the overall turnover – is is a bit alarming and, and then you know a winless season even though they played a couple of teams really close they had three losses by one possession you know the overall numbers weren't great they finished 114th in net yards per play 114th in epa margin 108th in net points per drive 119th in net yards per pass attempt and 104th in net success rate so there's not any of the big statistics that we look at to think, okay, well, there obviously is, you know, a reason to get excited about the passing offense or the rushing offense or the passing. None of them are that great. I mean, the best uh, single uh, stat uh, among these groups, they finished 96th offense uh, offensively in, in success rate. So, you know, that that's not a great starting point there. So a lot of reasons uh, to be concerned, but, 
some glimmers of hope, I think, especially with the, the guys that they were able to uh, bring in as true freshmen who stepped onto the field right away. So you can sell that playing time. You can sell that NFL coaching experience. And, uh, you know, those guys start to develop in, into uh, experienced players, leaders, and, and maybe you'll be able to build this program. Hammock is an NIU alum. That's, you know, it shows you he probably wants to be there, is committed to being there for the long haul, not going to use this as a stepping stone as maybe some others in the past. So some reasons for hope, but it's still very early in this process. And, and you know, climbing out of the hole of an 06 season is, is uh, difficult for sure. Xavier, your thoughts on Northern Illinois for 2021? It looks, uh, you know, like Nick mentioned, this is another kind of brutal team that we're looking at here. Yeah, but Nick's right. The The future's bright here with uh, Northern Illinois. This is a team that finished 91st uh, nationally. That's one better than what they did last year. And they once again finished in the top four in MAC rankings and recruiting this year as well, finishing ahead of a bunch of teams that did better than them this year. Some of them that include Buffalo, Ohio. They finished above Western Michigan, Bowling Green, and the list continues. Uh, but they, they also signed the most players out of the MAC with 26 commitments. And it really looks like, like Nick said, they're really looking to capitalize on the amount of playing time that they'll be able to give to these kids when they first step on campus. I also love uh, their head coach in, in, you know, with him being an alumni, with him having all of this NFL experience, I think that'll go to, you know, hopefully what will be a turnaround. And for him, he even said way, way back in the day during an interview when he was at, well, he was a GA uh, that Temple was his dream job. And Temple is his dream job to this day in a recent interview. So I really think that kind of energy towards a school where you know that this is going to be a reoccurring face in your school. He's not going anywhere. He's not going back to the NFL. He's staying at Northern Illinois. I think that that lends itself to at some point hitting a time where you can capitalize from this. I also love Rocky Lombardi going there. I think that's a great move for them. Uh, I think, you know, uh, he could be molded into a Jordan Lynch type quarterback. He already looked like part of it at Michigan State. Big guy, can run. Not, I wouldn't call him Lamar Jackson mobile, but he can move. Uh, and I think he has the ability to run a similar system. We all remember Jordan Lynch finishing, what, fifth in the Heisman race? I'm not saying Rocky Lombardi is going to do anything like that, but I think he can run in that kind of mold and be successful at Northern Illinois. All right. Well, we moved down here to New Mexico, and New Mexico was uh, two and five. They did end the season with two wins. That was their first two wins in the last 14 games. Uh, safety Jarek Reed was uh, uh, on the uh, all mountain West conference roster. Brandon shook was second team for them, uh, a linebacker. And Danny Gonzalez really seems like a great coach and a good leader. And, you know, it's just fun watching his press conferences. You know, the guy brings great energy. Uh, he emphasized getting local guys from New Mexico as part of his program. Uh, this off season. And, you know, I think they got four or five guys, but New Mexico is relatively small state. So you can't, uh, can't fill your entire roster with only <laughs> local kids. So uh, Nick, uh, Danny Gonzalez in New Mexico, the future seems bright here, but the roster is still a little bit, uh, you know, discombobulated. Yeah. I, I have, I, I'm feeling better and better. And I guess that makes sense <laughs> as we move up the rankings, but uh, there were far more uh, bright spots for New Mexico this year than I expected. I, I came in, I, I did really like the Danny Gonzalez hire. Uh, I like, he was able to bring Rocky Long as his defensive coordinator, which Rocky Long was one of the best 
head coaches in the Mountain West, and, and you're able to bring him, uh, you know, back to a program that he really was able to to build into a consistent winner and bring him as a defensive coordinator. He's one of the best defensive coaches in, in college football. And there were definitely some bumpy spots on defense and, and Rocky Long's defensive coordinator rating took a bit of a hit this, this year because, uh, you know, New Mexico wasn't that great. I mean, finished 121st in yards uh, per play allowed. And those are, uh, adjusted for garbage time stats and and, and whatnot. Uh, 120th in yards per pass attempt allowed, not great there. So, you know, certainly room for improvement, but both of those guys being such good uh, defensive coaches and, and having such success as coordinators and, and play callers on that side of the football, I think New Mexico uh, sooner rather than later will be a very, very good defense in the Mountain West. They played early in the year, they played two teams uh, very, very close, Hawaii and Nevada, both of which ended up going to bowl games, uh, having winning seasons. And, uh, you know, New Mexico at that point didn't really look like they had any business playing with those teams. And, and New Mexico's uh, a program that had uh, a ton of injury issues at the quarterback position. Uh, they had their best wide receiver unavailable for most of the year, and he uh, eventually ends up uh, going into the transfer portal. Jordan Kress, who is a guy I'm sure uh, I'm going to be excited to talk about next week when we talk about transfer receivers. But, you know, that there, there were reasons to think that, oh, wow, this really could end up being – uh, you know, a winless season for New Mexico, just a, a tough, really, really tough year. They played decently well in, in those uh, first couple of games, but then they go out and get shut out by Air Force, lose to Utah State, who looked like one of the worst teams in college football. Um, and then last two games of the year are down to their fifth string walk-on true freshman quarterback who leads them to two wins. Actually, you know, go out and beat – Wyoming, uh, who's a good team. I mean, you know, could thought uh, early in the year, going into the preseason, uh, thought that they were going to be maybe Boise State's toughest competition in their side of the Mountain West. And obviously everything gets thrown out of whack there. But, uh, you know, uh, they were able to, to beat a solid Wyoming team and then finish it off beating Fresno State outright, who Fresno State at times looked uh, like a, a legitimate, you know, Mountain West uh, contender, uh, you know, was playing really, really good football in the middle of the season. And New Mexico was able to, to win both of those games that you would think coming in, they had absolutely no business winning. I remember leading up to the, the uh, Fresno State game, thinking the way our numbers, uh, you know, saw that game playing out, I think, I think Fresno State was like a seven and a half point favorite or something. Our numbers had it at about 11. And my own personal thought was, this I love this game more than any all year. I think Fresno State is going to win this by 20, 28, you know, something like that. And New Mexico just goes out and, and, and beats them. And not only all of that, but New Mexico were, you know, they were on the road all year, did not play a game at home, were not even, you know, practicing at home, relocated to Las Vegas, first-year head coach, Fifth string, you know, true freshman walk on. Screw is a better there. word for them than messy. It was yeah, and, and, yeah, and they were able to somehow win two games against good teams. And and so uh, when you can can beat teams that you have no business beating, 
that that's a great sign moving moving forward. And and I think that they're entering the offseason with a lot of the positive momentum. Hopefully they'll be able to build on that. Uh, you know, they are going to lose some big pieces. Teton Salties is one of the best G5 offensive linemen in the country. A guy who uh, PFF graded 83.1 overall offensively, had an 83.1 uh, run blocking grade as well. He's going to be drafted. Uh, they, they're losing their top tackler, Brandon Shook, is uh, their top two linebackers, their two starting linebackers are leaving. But a lot of key players are coming back for that extra year. Uh, they will hopefully be healthy at you know the quarterback position. Uh, uh, Tui didn't didn't start, uh, but what one game, two games this year. But uh, hopefully he will be back and and uh, fully healthy and and can you know give that offense a, a little bit of a boost. Uh, Tavaki Tuioti uh, and. You know, I think there are reasons to be optimistic. I think that New Mexico was able to do a little bit with almost nothing this past year. Hopefully they can do a little bit more when they've got a little bit more to work with, you know, more at the quarterback position, more experience uh, across the board. And, and uh, though they will have to fill some, some gaps, fill some holes, uh, they, they have something to build on. And I think the coaching uh, fit is, is, pretty close to perfect and, and think that there's, you know, I'm not, I'm not predicting they'll compete for the Mountain West title, but I think that they're going to be a tough out every week. And, and they already were last year and, and a team that I had zero expectations for, especially as the year wore on and, and you know, uh, was, was very, very difficult to beat uh, just about all year. So uh, pretty impressed for a, for a two and five team and definitely some reason to be optimistic for 2021 and beyond. Yeah, Xavier, things really seem to come together for them uh, at, at the end of the season. You know, Danny Gonzalez, a solid coach, but they were playing in Vegas. Uh, like Nick said, starting a true freshman uh, walk-on at quarterback the last couple of games, and they win against good squad. So th there's a lot of decent silver lining here, uh, but, you know, still a little rough around the edges in New Mexico. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, and I won't hit too much on the recruiting because I don't necessarily think that their recruiting is something that we need to focus on because I think once again, like Nick and I talked about earlier, this is one of those younger teams that did not focus so heavily on their recruiting for this year. Uh, and I think we'll be better off next season. Uh, funny enough, nationally, they finished 12 spots higher than what they did last year. Uh, they finished 94th uh, compared to the 106 that they finished last year. On the other side of that, they finished eighth in the Mountain West this year where they finished fifth last year. I don't know if that means the Mountain West was better at recruiting than they were last year or if, like the entirety of college football was worse at recruiting than they were last year. I don't know what how, how to necessarily read that. Uh, but You don't know we, how to read the weird 2020 season? What's wrong with you, Xavier? Come on, get it together. I'm sorry I don't have like a COVID bylaw <laughs> sheet to go by. Uh, but when we look at them from even a competitive standpoint, I'll just go to last year's schedule. They were in every ball game that they lost, barring one, and that was the 27-0 loss against Air Force. But when you run down their schedule last year, they, they, they lose to Hawaii by six. They lose to Nevada by seven. Uh, they lose to Utah State by 14, but they were in that game up until the fourth quarter. These are games, when you look back on them, are things that you can build on, especially when you, you both hit it on the head when you get to the end of the year and you're able to beat a Wyoming and a Fresno State team that both of them were pretty good last year. So you look at the way you competed at the beginning of the year and you mirror that with the end of the year, 
You give them a full offseason to really get Danny Gonzalez's system in, give him a real opportunity to get you know, to, to nurture these kids in, in the weight room, on the field, in the uh, in, especially in the film room. This team easily could win four to five games next year, in my personal opinion, uh, just from looking at how competitive they, competitive they were this year. So I, I like New Mexico coming into this year. I'm not going to say that they're both eligible, but I will say that they will be much better than what they were last year. Uh, the, the next team I'm excited to talk about because there's a specific hire here that I know Nick is going to, uh, and I, I, I use this lovingly, nerd out about. So, uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, but but Vanderbilt 0-9 last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hired uh, new head coach Clark, uh, Clark Lee from uh, Notre Dame. He was D.C. the last three years. Dave Rath was hired as the O.C. He was the Arizona Cardinals wide receiver coach the last two seasons. Jesse Minter was hired as the defensive coordinator. He was a DB coach for the Ravens last year. And the, the big one I know for Nick is going to be, uh, they hired Barton Simmons as GM. He was special assistant to Saban at, at Alabama for a couple seasons. He worked at two, four, seven. Am I getting that wrong, Nick? I don't remember that Alabama connection, but, but okay. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> okay, I thought I read that um, uh, in an article, I but I could have been getting it mixed up. I don't know. Th- this week has been very weird with me. So, <laughs> but I know he worked for Two Four Seven Sports, which is actually located in Nashville, which mm-hmm. is where Vanderbilt is. So, uh, it was a it, it was he wanted to go home. So it, it was a very uh, good signing for him. They brought in Ramon Davis from Temple, one of the you know the running back, a uh, big running back out of Temple, and they had the 48th ranked recruiting class, which is going to be by far the highest on this list today. Yeah. But <laughs> um, you know, uh, but in the SEC, it's the second worst. South Carolina is the only team with the worst recruiting class. Than second them. worst, though. Progress. Second worst is they, they were bottom yeah. last year. So for, progress. For Vandy. I've been yeah. bottom for a long time. <laughs> You're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, a long, long time. Very much. Uh, but but yeah, Barton Simmons uh, coming in from 247, I know, was uh, a big hire. Nick talked about it a lot when it happened. And uh, I mean, Vanderbilt seems to be uh, on uh, ascending at this point uh, out with Derek Mason in with Clark Lee. Yeah, I, I am. Very excited about what Vanderbilt's doing. They seem to be thinking outside the box, and and I think the the Barton Simmons hire is a good example of that. And it's kind of a, a little bit of a perfect storm because Clark Lee is a very uh, cerebral, forward thinking head coach. Gets an opportunity to be a head coach, really earned it as as becoming one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. But Vanderbilt was able to land him in a situation where you know. In, in most scenarios, you would not think Vanderbilt's going to be bringing in a guy of his caliber, uh, especially coming off a, an 0-9 season when it looks like it's a, a you know almost a total teardown in a lot of ways because they had so many people enter the transfer portal prior to this season, during the season, after the season. Uh, but Clark Lee's a Nashville native, went to Vanderbilt. Actually, it, it uh, I believe, was a, a high school teammate of Barton Simmons. So there's a, a longtime connection there between the two. Uh, but, you know, he's he's a guy who has strong ties to the community, to the school, and coming with that being one of the best uh, prepared, you know, rising coordinators to, to head coach, a guy who's, you know, coordinated a defense into the college football playoff uh, very recently uh, was the only team to beat Clemson last year, even though they gave up 40 whatever points in that game, but, but, you know, still, and, and, and it's just a, a very impressive guy 
uh, based on what I've read, what I've heard, uh, you know, leading up to this. So it seems like a perfect hire on paper that we've talked in recent weeks about, you know, seemingly uh, perfect hires on paper. Jim Harbaugh, Scott Frost, those type things haven't necessarily worked out uh, in some of these higher profile spots. So, you know, it's it's way too early to tell. But at this point, there's reason to be excited and there's reason to think that some of the unorthodox thinking, uh, you know, you kind of have to do that. at Vanderbilt. Nobody has high expectations uh, going into this year, certainly. Nobody really has expectations probably for the next few years. So it's the perfect time for somebody to come in, try some new ideas, shake some things up. And I, I, I am excited about that. But I, I really liked Derek Mason. I think he's going to go on and do good things as defensive coordinator at Auburn. Uh, seems like a really good guy. Seems, you know, had some success there. Had to kind of similarly uh, build Vanderbilt from the ground up. You know, just just wasn't. Yeah, the, he inherited a, a team that had won prior, but uh, basically had a full changeover that first couple of years, and was able to to build Vanderbilt from uh, you know its its normal losing uh, you know program status early on in his tenure. Took him to a couple of bowl games, and and uh, you know did did a good job. Kind of ran out of steam here at the end, but uh, probably you know helped. Uh, put some things in place for Clark Lee and the new coaching staff to be successful, I think. Now, Vanderbilt, we talked in the preseason, I had zero expectation for. I, I personally, I don't know if I said this on the show or not, but was uh, more personally invested in Vanderbilt going under their season win total than I was anything else, any bet I personally made all year. I was loaded. My top two positions were Vanderbilt – uh, under one win and under one and a half wins. Oh, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, only one of those paid off. One of them got uh, voided because yeah. they didn't play Georgia as a 40-point underdog at the, the final regular <laughs> season uh, game. So they technically could have won that and, and hit that one uh, win. But anyway, but but yes, I, I had no expectations for Vanderbilt. They had what, five uh, guys on the offensive line alone opt out of the season, and including uh, multiple starters. They had to move a starting defensive lineman over to the offensive line uh, to play left guard. You know, it, it just – the, the depth wasn't there to start with. The talent wasn't there to start with. And then you throw into the fact that this was one of uh, the SEC teams hit hardest by COVID just week in and week out, you know, just dealing with uh, the, the uh, potential to not have enough scholarship players to play. And uh, so there was, you know, understandably, they, they went winless. And uh, I, I certainly, you know, don't necessarily knock Derek Mason for that. There were so many, uh, you know, outstanding things that he had to deal with that it just wasn't, going to be a situation where he was going to be successful. But again, I think there's reason to be optimistic looking to the future. Part of that is the change in schedule, just in, in schedule alone. I mean, when you're playing, you know, 10 regular season games against SEC competition, when you're Vanderbilt, that's going to be very difficult. So they just weren't set up for success in, in a lot of ways, but next year they play 
uh, ETSU, FCS opponent, uh, in, in week one. They play at Colorado State, having their own kind of you know transition there. That's a winnable game. Stanford, who uh, we won't talk about for a few weeks, has a lot more talent, but they're dealing with they they're among those uh, you know lowest uh, teams in returning production that we talked about earlier this week. They play UConn. They play Mississippi State as a the, the crossover uh, from the SEC West. They probably aren't going to be favored in that game, but it's not, you know, it's a potentially winnable game. So, you know, Vanderbilt is is uh, not going to be in a bowl game, I think, in, in 2021. I think that's fairly safe to say. But just in schedule alone, there's reason to be optimistic. The change and maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, juice that the, the, the coaching staff brings in, uh, uh, you know, it was time for a little bit of a change of scenery for, uh, you know, a, a little bit of, of, of a shakeup there at the head coaching position. But also, you know, Ken Seals, as a true freshman, got a full season's worth of starting experience. Keon Henry Brooks, I thought, showed a lot of uh, promise as a running back, a sophomore running back. Cam Johnson had some good games. Amir Abdul-Rahman had some good games. Uh, 6'4", 210 target there. Chris Pierce was a senior last year, but I think, uh, I I believe, will be coming back. You know, offensive line still going to be an issue, but, you know, and and also lost a couple of their best defensive players. Dio Rabingo is going to be, and I completely butchered that, I apologize, but uh, is going to get drafted. Andre Mintz, you know, leaving for the NFL, might potentially get drafted, had a really good season last year, lost a couple of uh, former starters to the transfer portal, but, you know, with a relatively experienced group uh, with definitely some building blocks on offense, even though the offense wasn't particularly good last year. uh, I I think that there is reason to think, okay, we're going to show some improvement. We're going to win a few games, uh, you know, at least a couple of games in 2021. Can we get an SEC win? Can we, you know, build some recruiting uh, momentum because we've got a guy who's so tied in, basically one of the, you know, uh, founders of, of the internet recruiting uh, era. And, you know, are we going to be able to, to do some outside the box thinking to help narrow the talent gap in, in some way, whether it's bringing in better players, whether it's bringing in uh, under-recruited, underrated players, uh, whatever it is. I, I, I don't expect big things early, but I'm excited for the future to see how Vanderbilt sort of evolves over the next three to five to six seasons. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see. Can, you know, Clark Lee, a guy that, that really wants to be there, is sort of, sort of a specially uh, unique head coaching candidate to this particular job. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, Vanderbilt kind of uh, overachieved in being able to bring in one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, even though Derek Mason was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country coming in. But regardless. How's it going to work out? I'm fascinated to see. I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to Vanderbilt this year than I was last year. I don't know how the numbers look yet, but I don't anticipate uh, the Vanderbilt win total under being my most important bet of the season. Uh, so it's it's fun also to see how my just personal rooting interest for a team varies, kind of <laughs> you know, based on how the numbers shake out. But I think I'm going to be. Uh, more optimistic about Vanderbilt, not only in 2021, but certainly in, in the years to come. 
Yeah, and so the thing I was reading was it was comparing Barton Simmons to all the special assistants at Alabama. Not that he was a special assistant at Alabama. So gotcha. I gotcha. read it wrong the first time I saw it when I was making my notes. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th there's a lot to be positive about here for Vandy. It's just, uh, you know, they, they play in the SEC, and the SEC is absolute brutal competition. I think they would go undefeated if they played the rest of these teams on this list. But, uh, you know, Playing in the SEC, uh, you know they're they're not they're not great. You don't think so? Oh, yeah, maybe Louisiana Tech undefeated. Is. It's hard to go undefeated, but <laughs> uh, but maybe, I mean maybe would they be favored against every other team? I mean, according to our final rankings, no. They that's definitely. why that's why we do it like this. But if I were to guess, twenty twenty one betting sites would put an SEC team over almost any of these teams that we have on this list. Yes, yeah. I would take I think I would take more than half of these teams over Vandy. I'll be honest. Wow. With you. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean they, they, are, <laughs> See, they are a mess. I think I disagree with both of you. I think Vanderbilt <laughs> okay. I think right. Vanderbilt would uh, against the 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 nine other teams on this list just playing the percentages. Vanderbilt probably goes 7 and 3, 8 and 2, but would they be favored? Uh, potentially, potentially favored in in at least eight games. I'll say. I, I don't I know just, about Louisiana Tech. There's a chance. That, yeah, that Louisiana Tech be made favored, a bowl but. game. They're they're going to be the first team <laughs> on our uh, on our list here that made a bowl game this year. So, uh, you know, th this uh, th this team is it. I, I think it wouldn't be bad versus most of the country, but it's bad in the SEC. And, and that's kind of the point I'm making. And the coaching uh, staff. I from, agree with it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the coaching staff from last year being gone is going to help, you know, obviously a year to transition, you know, that's why, uh, you know, coaches usually get at least a year or two, even if the results are real bad that first year uh, when they come in, because they're implementing their new vision and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. um, your thoughts on Vandy in 2021, Xavier? Just a quick tidbit. They barely beat Northern Illinois like two years ago, so I'm just going to leave that out there. Okay. That final score was 24-18, and they were at home. But regardless, <laughs> uh, no, Vandy is in a weird situation because when you look at Vandy from a recruiting aspect, they recruit very well nationally. They're top 50 nationally, pretty much top 55, top 60 every year. But like we've said, that according to the SEC means absolutely nothing. They finish in either the basement or right next to the basement every year for a while now. And that's really the, the biggest struggle for them. And when you know Nick was talking about their schedule next year, Nick, I don't I don't know where you were seeing that they could beat Stanford. I don't I'm not gonna go out on that limb. You could absolutely do that on your own, right? That is that is your you, you that is your limb to stand on because I will yeah, not. I, I'm not particularly high on Stanford. We'll, we'll talk about them in a few weeks, but that's fair. I'm, I'm not saying they will win that game, but I don't think that's I don't think they're going to be 24 point underdogs. That that's fair. That's fair. I just when you were talking about their non-conference schedule, you said Stanford. I was like, wait, 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 wait let's slow down. Uh, but I also think when we look at their schedule from this past year, when we look at how they played. I think. For once, the bottom of the SEC was actually pretty solid, and I think they didn't, they weren't able to benefit from either from any other bottom dweller as well. You know, you look at their schedule, and really the only other team that they that you would think maybe they should have competed with was South Carolina, and, and South Carolina blew them out of the water. But your Ole Miss, your Mississippi States, uh, those teams weren't bad this year. Your Kentuckys, they weren't bad this year. And even your Arkansas, which is typically their basement mate for the last couple of years, they were even a viable option this year in the SEC. So Vanderbilt really 
uh, where it was on the bad end of, of the luck scale this year because it seemed like every middling bad team in the SEC was like halfway decent this year. And so when you really look at that, I think that's where Vandy really struggled as well. I'm, I don't know how to put this. I'm inspired by what they what they can do at Vandy because we've seen what they can do before under James Franklin. I just don't know if they'll ever get back there. The, the SEC at that time that James Franklin was there, the SEC itself was kind of hitting a downturn as well. Georgia wasn't all that great. Florida wasn't all that great. Uh, really, especially in the East, the East wasn't really great at that point at all. You know, that, that was the Grayson Lambert days. And I think that those days are far behind uh, some of the top teams in the SEC. And I think other teams are starting to follow suit. And I just don't know if Vandy has missed the boat. So, Nick, when you said three to six years, I'm going to go with the latter and say six years from now, maybe. But I just don't know where Vandy makes up the ground that I th- I think that they could have capitalized on when the rest of the SEC East was on a downturn uh, in like 2014 through 2016. Yeah, for now, Vandy's still baseball school. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. they're they're getting better at, at uh, football. They're making some some huge moves here, uh, but they're definitely a baseball. Hold on. And that's never going to go away. I, I have to add this. Program. I have to add this since you brought this up. <laughs> Two years ago, I went to Vandy versus LSU. We got and at halftime, they rewarded that year's uh, national championship baseball team. Louder crowd noise for the baseball team than any <laughs> touchdown that was scored that day by Vandy. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Uh, Van, I mean, Vandy is a great baseball school. Mm-hmm. So that's not, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not even knocking the football team by saying that. It, it is, they're always nationally ranked. They're always top 10. You know, they're great. Uh, the next team on the list here, South Alabama, Nick. Um, the last bowl game was in 2016. They got a new mm-hmm. head coach in uh, Kane Womack, uh, who was the Indiana DC and linebackers coach for the last two seasons. Seasons. They hired Major Applewhite as their new OC. He was one of those 1,500 special assistants to Nick Saban at Alabama last season. And uh, they brought in Jake Bentley from Utah. Uh, recruiting class was ranked low, though, 122nd. So uh, tell me about the Jaguars for 2021. Well, they're, they started with, with uh, you know, the first game of the year, big stage. We were all excited to, to actually see a college football game and upset Southern Miss and, and looked pretty good doing it. And, and really, you know, Desmond Trotter threw the football well, had two, uh, you know, big-time receivers to work with, Jalen Tolbert and Kawan Baker. A lot of lot of early optimism. Almost upset Tulane in their next game. Beat Texas State, beat ULM. So they're sitting there 3-2, and two, looking great. You know, have, have a lot of, of reason to, to think South Alabama is going to be a factor you know, all year. And, and then things just really start to kind of fall apart offensively and, and end up losing, you know, five out of six and, and only once scoring uh, over 17 points in the second half of the season. And, and that was an upset win over Arkansas State, which uh, was a was a big win for sure. But uh, definitely in the second half of the year was was an outlier. And, and you know, there there were again, reasons to be excited, showed some improvement over uh, the 2019 season, also opened a brand new stadium, looks great. You know, Mobile is a talent-rich area, uh, that South Alabama, uh, you know, Florida panhandle very close, South Georgia has a lot of talent. So, you know, you you are, are in an area where you have easy access or at least proximity to very talented players. 
you have facilities that are definitely moving in the right direction. And so, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, expectations are on the rise. And so when, when, you know, the Jags showed a lot of promise early in the year and really tailed off, uh, it wasn't shocking to see Steve Campbell get fired and, and move in a younger direction. Kane Womack being a, a very, very well thought of uh, defensive coordinator, was at South Alabama just a few years ago as the defensive coordinator. Uh, and that Indiana team, I mean, played really some excellent defense, really helped propel them to uh, the best Indiana you know, record that we've seen in, in quite some time. So uh, a reason to be optimistic about South Alabama, absolutely. And, and I think that this team, though they stumbled at the end of the season and, and that you know, drop in team performance rating is why they slid so far in our final rankings. I mean, they spent some time in the 80s early in the year. Uh, in our numbers. So, uh, you know, that that's definitely, I think, some, some reason to be optimistic. The passing offense, I think, really the offense as a whole, uh, there's reason to be optimistic. They finished in the top 90 in the country. I mean, that's not still great, but it's a lot better than most of the teams we've talked about uh, so far in, in this series. They finished 87th in yards per play on offense. They finished 52nd in yards per pass attempt. So that is among the best rankings of, of any particular category that we will talk about today that we have talked about so far. I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, again, not great, still outside of the top 50, <laughs> but a reason to potentially, you know, have something to build on. And that's Desmond Trotter at quarterback. And, and more specifically, because they brought in Jake Bentley to compete for that job. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, who is a legit NFL prospect at, at wide receiver. I was a little bit surprised, actually, that he decided to come back. I mean, Kawan Baker did move on, is going to be, uh, you know, entering the NFL draft, and we'll see. This wide what receiver class is insane. So, it is, uh, yeah. very <laughs> true. Uh, I'm not, I'm surprised because, you know, injuries and all that stuff, but I, I also get it. You know, you want to go into the next class, which is still probably going to be very good, but uh, these last two wide receiver classes have been nuts. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's, that's understandable, and I'm excited that he's coming back because, I mean, he's 6'3", 200 pounds, went for over 1,000 yards this year, averaged almost 17 yards per catch, eight touchdowns on a team that wasn't great. I mean, Desmond Trotter showed some promise, but, you know, still the, the coaching staff decided that they wanted to bring in a transfer to basically try to take that job away. So uh, he, Jalen Tolbert, there's, there's a lot of reason to be excited about. I think he's going to be among, if not the best player in the, the Sun Belt next year. Carlos Davis showed some good things at, at the running back position. Not great in terms of, you know, yards per carry and, and uh, things of that nature. And, and, you know, South Alabama only finished – you know, 93rd in, in EPA per play on offense and, and a, uh, what is it, one-tenth in success rate. So had some had some struggles running the football consistently, but had big playability. And, and you know, combined that with a, uh, you know, very good defensive-minded uh, head coach, you think, okay, he's, he's going to be able to uh, – make that defense potentially one of the best in, in the Sun Belt. They do lose Riley Cole, uh, who is all over the field. It's a, a tackler at, at South Alabama in the last few years. But, you know, bring back Keith Galman, uh, safety, uh, kind of a, a little bit of a hybrid defender. Look at how he filled the stat sheet. 
this past year. And, and that's, that's somebody that you're going to be able to, to really uh, build upon defensively a guy, 84 tackles, uh, you know, had an interception, had a tackle for loss, 10 pass breakups, forced fumble. And if you look at, at, you know, the PFF ratings was consistently among the best in the country in a variety of, of metrics in the top 50 and, you know, like tackling grade and coverage. I mean, he's, he's all over the place. He was uh, in my uh, FWAA All-American ballot. I, I listed him as, a, as an All-American defensive back. I, I thought he was worthy of that. And, and a lot of the stats, the production he was able to put up and, and then the, the, you know, grading his play on the field uh, as well, I think really backed that up. So there are, uh, again, as I've said a few times, more optimism the more we go across, you know, down this list. But South Alabama having a little bit of success, having one of the best players, offensive playmakers in their conference, uh, and then, you know, bringing in a, a bit of youth in the coaching uh, change and, and a guy who is considered, you know, a, a uh, rising star in the profession, especially as a defensive mind. I, I think that South Alabama can build on this, this uh, you know, little bit of a, a, a strong start in 2020, won four games. Can they get to, you know, bowl eligibility next year? Maybe. You know, they play Southern Miss again. They, they play Bowling Green. That should be a win. Alcorn State, a good uh, FCS team, uh, HBCU, very successful program, but certainly a winnable game. And then, you know, ULM's on the schedule. Arkansas State, they beat two years in a row. You know, the, the Sun Belt is tough, and they play all the, the big teams, App State, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern. But, you know, the, the Sun Belt, the, the, the difference between the middle of the pack and, and the top of the heap is not that great. So I think South Alabama is going to be a factor in, in the Sun Belt title race next year. And, and, you know, that would be a huge jumping off point for a first year head coach. And, and things don't always go according to plan, obviously for a first time, first year head coach. Uh, so it, it wouldn't shock me if, if they do fall short, but I think that that's in the realm of possibility for sure. Yeah, Xavier, we're getting into, you know, some, uh, positivity uh, about yeah, these yeah. teams here. And uh, Kane Womack is a great hire at South Alabama, I feel. Nick uh, seems to feel the same way. And, uh, you know, looks like this is a pretty good squad they have here, too. So we're getting into huh? some positive territory. Yeah, and, and I don't know if necessarily for because of the coaching decision or, once again, because of what you've, both of you guys have said when it comes to, these, uh, to how good their team was last year or how uh, – the potential of last year's team, you know, they really didn't hit the recruiting trail all that much. You know, they bring in 11 kids uh, out of high school and three transfers. So 14 total. Uh, we talked about uh, Jake Bentley, uh, uh, Ethan Rinky out of Tennessee and Antoine Lewis out of Louisiana tech uh, round out the transfer list. Uh, but I really like South Alabama going into next year. And, and one of the really, the reasons as to why is something that Nick finished on, you know, he talked about some of the top teams in the, in the Sun Belt, and that's really where they struggled. You know, that you look at, uh, you look at their schedule and they were two and two going into a four or excuse me, three and two going into a four game stretch where they played Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana and Georgia State. And I think that's really where their season changed for the worse. Uh, they lost all four of those games, uh, then picking up a win over Arkansas State, and then a loss at Troy. But, you know, you look at how they competed against the middle teams in the conference. If you just take those games, uh, if you just take those games, they would have finished three and three. And I think that you add in two or three uh, non-conference games going into this year. I I like 
South Alabama to be a bowl team. I, I think this is a team that can go six and six. Like Nick said, it could all go bad. You know, with a brand new coaching staff as or a brand new coach, it could all go bad. Uh, but when you're playing Bowling Green, I think that's a winnable game for them. Uh, Alcorn State, definitely a winnable game for them. Southern Miss, a winnable game as well. And when I look at that, that's three wins on top of the three that they had last year. That or on top of the four that they had last year, that's seven wins. Uh, you know, so I think that South Alabama can be a bowl eligible team. I'm picking them to go six, six wins to be their max. I think they can absolutely reach that point. So I think the future is bright um, down there, in South Alabama. The new stadium looks lovely. I, I think it's one hell of a recruiting tool in that conference uh, it, because if you look at the rest of the conference, everybody else is either renovating or getting a new stadium. So way to follow suit. And, and I think South Alabama is definitely a team that could be right there in the middle of the Sun Belt, which as we know, Nick's hit it right on the head. Outside of the top two or three teams in that conference, it's a complete crapshoot for the entire rest of that conference. So I don't think that South, South Alabama is cannot be in that crapshoot of middle teams. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I forgot about the stadium too, and that's where they're playing the Senior Bowl now. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, I, that. That's a great point to make for sure. The next team up here is Old Dominion, who of course didn't play right. in, in 2020. Uh, we're still so we're still waiting the head coaching debut of Ricky Ronnie. Uh, they were able to get a huge transfer in Dario Mack from UCF. Uh, they were the hundredth ranked recruiting class uh, for this year. So um, you know, Old Dominion. I know Nick is ready to see Ricky Slade run. So what do you think about run, Old Dominion moving forward here? Well, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to see Ricky Slade at Old Dominion. Is he going to transfer? And then, well, so uh, right after uh, we hit, you know, the end of, of uh, our recording session earlier this week, talking about running back transfers, uh, the news broke that he's no longer part of the program. And, and I haven't okay, seen okay. a, I haven't seen a, uh, follow up as to what exactly that means. If if maybe he entered the transfer portal to you know oh, he's not to go back to a P five. So right, right, yeah. So so it's uh, you know I don't know if that if he's got that intention, just not officially in yet, or or what, or if he you know ran into some trouble or or you know a personal situation. Or something. Not sure how it how you know what what it's going to uh, look like for for him in in twenty twenty one or beyond. But yes, I was very excited uh, to see what. He could do, you know, you think of a guy who's got five-star talent. They're only, what, 32 five-stars a year, I think, is their target number uh, to, to sort of simulate the first uh, round of the NFL draft. And it's getting tougher and tougher for a running back to get that fifth star, uh, you know, because of that, because they use the NFL draft as a, a tool, you know, kind of a, a template. And uh, that shows just how much that the, the, you know, the uh, talent evaluators uh, thought of Ricky Slade. And, and I remember being very impressed with him as well. And, and this time last year, I was thinking, you know, hey, they, they Penn State needs to get Ricky Slade on the field, need to, you know, move him into that uh, sort of Swiss Army knife type role, get him out, you know, in the slot, get, use him as a receiver, throw to him more out of the backfield, get multiple running backs on the field at the same time. And so I, I've been excited to see Ricky Slade kind of used to his, his full potential. Unfortunately, it, you know, it might be a, a, another year, and, and hopefully we will get to see him eventually, but might not be at Old Dominion. But he's not the only guy who who is going to be missing, and, and it's a very difficult situation that 
they obviously, you know, opted out of the season with the only uh, team in a conference and at the FBS level to opt out and not play. And a lot of the, the guys, you know, want to, to play football. So they've, Seen transfers leave. Uh, Keon White has gone to Georgia Tech. Jeremy uh, Miser is is off to Northwestern. You know, so these are talented players who are able to to kind of level up a little bit. Uh, and and you know, they've got other guys who haven't yet landed. But Caleb Ford Dement, uh, corner, uh, was a, a you know second team All CUSA guy as a sophomore in 2019 and, and, you know, three starters returning starters on the defensive line entered the transfer portal. So uh, old dominion, I think that this was a very desirable job when Ricky Ronnie was hired uh, that again, a, a fertile recruiting area, uh, a, you know, conference that is uh, not, uh, you know, we, we've talked before about how Conference USA is completely wide open. I think even more so than the Sun Belt, there is no dominant team. There's not going to be a clear-cut favorite uh, in 2021 entering the year. So even though Old Dominion didn't play in 2020, even though they were one and eleven when they last played in 2019, the gap is not huge between them being able to to get back to bowl eligibility to be you know a, a contender for a conference title. We're talking maybe two, three years if, if everything uh, kind of comes together under a, a new coaching staff and they were able to recruit at a higher level and, and things like that. So it's very disappointing that uh, Slade won't be there. It, it's going to be difficult to overcome uh, so many you know, losses of, of experienced guys coming back. So it might be a complete you know, gut job rebuild from a roster standpoint. Uh, but man, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's reason to be optimistic, but at this point, because, you know, we didn't see them play a game last year, you don't know what the off season workouts look like. You don't know, uh, what sort of practice situation they've got, what sort of things are going on behind the scenes and zoom meetings and film study and all that. Will they benefit from a full year off from a full year where coaches could, you know, recruit it at, you know, that be a bigger, uh, part of their daily plan than usual. I just, I just don't know. There's so many unknowns, and then losing uh, some some really talented guys as well. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there is some, you know, there are some winnable games on the schedule. They play Hampton next year, uh, but they're, you know, UTEP, but they are not going to be clear cut favorites probably in any other game. Wake Forest, Liberty. Buffalo, tough time to pick those uh, schools as as uh, non conference opponents. Uh, so it's it's going to be tough, but uh, I think there's reason long term to to think that Old Dominion is is going to be uh, set up for success. But uh, in the short term, there's just so many unknowns that that I have to expect that their uh, power rating is, is going to fall. They're they're probably going to start the season in the mid 120s probably 125 something in that range and we'll see what we what they can do i mean that that is just a starting point as far as our numbers go it, it's not necessarily we expect uh that every team will, will finish where they start but you know they're they're working from behind in a lot of ways with a year off and, and with so many guys leaving uh as a result of that Xavier, your thoughts on Old Dominion with their their, their new coach and uh, the year off and all that good stuff? Yeah, I don't I don't know how to feel about this team because on one hand, Nick's absolutely right. This is going to have to be this is a weird situation. 
You know, we don't know what this team is going to be over the next couple of years, over this season, let alone the next couple of years. But funny enough, they've recruited at a pretty high level. You know, they, they rank sixth in the conference in recruiting. This is above teams like UAB, Louisiana Tech, Marshall, Southern Miss, uh, just to name a few. And, and I don't know if that's indicative of the fact that they spent all of this time not playing recruiting or whether kids think, you know, something is going on. At, at Old Dominion that they want to be a part of. Uh, regardless, maybe that's indicative of what can go forward. Um, and, and, I, and I think, you know, once again, like I said, like Nick said, this is going to be a weird situation to keep tabs on over the next year or so. Uh, because with all this talent that they're bringing in, talent that's obviously have has them ranked where they are in their conference of recruiting, can that for, turn into wins? And, and I don't know. We don't know what they'll bring out this year. Uh, their non-conference schedule looks like maybe two wins. Uh, so they're going to have to get the bulk of their wins throughout their conference play. And I don't know if they have what it takes to do so. Uh, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say Old Dominion will be anywhere near a bowl game this year. I'm more comfortable saying three wins tops. And that's how I feel. All right. The next team on the list here after Old Dominion is Texas State, who we talked about before. Uh, they had uh, COVID issues. Uh, a lot this year. They had 127 missed games on their two deep due to COVID issues. They had 11 players transfer in with eight uh, as three stars or higher. So that was nice. They did have offensive tackle Dalton Cooper named to the PFFs all freshman team, but they had the 187th ranked recruiting class here. And that is counting all of those uh, guys that, that came in through the portal, Nick, and they were two and eight or two and 10, excuse me, last year. So just not a great year for Texas State. Yeah. And, and we did touch on them a little bit and, and, you know, they, they early in the year quarterback situation, they were dealing with, uh, you know, a quarterback competition, but then both ended up missing games because of COVID, but they were able to basically, you know, get every game in, right. Eventually uh, had some reschedules of course, but uh, might have been, if I if I'm uh, looking correctly, might have been the only team in college football to play 12 regular season games, and and you know so that is is uh, pretty impressive, uh, just in its in its own right to be able to to get that done. But there were reasons to be optimistic, and and uh, Texas State finished 55th in the country in yards per play on offense. They actually were the only team that we talked about so far to finish inside the top 100 in net yards per play, finished 85th. So, you know, that's that's a little bit of a reason to be optimistic. I, I think that Texas Tech was much, much better than 2-10, and 10, uh, you know, than that 2-10 and 10 record looked. They were competitive early in the year against SMU, uh, played them to a, a you know, one-score final, were in that game the entire game, uh, took UTSA, who ended up being, you know, UTSA, we, we talked about Jeff Trailer was our uh, highest-scoring first-year head coach uh, of the season, had a, a really strong year there in a rivalry game, uh, took it to double overtime, came up three points short against Boston College, a team that at one point led Clemson by 18 points in a game, uh, you know, and, and were beat by 10 by South Alabama, beat by 10 by uh, Louisiana, by two at Georgia Southern. So, you know, they, they were in a lot of games and had the, the ability to, you know, had the, the, the potential to win some of those games. And on the one hand, I think, okay, well, you know, if you, if you lose close, there was something that didn't go right, maybe coaching decisions, things like that. 
but then also if you lose close, sort of the, the first step, you know, the process in these rebuilding jobs and Jake Spavadol taking over Texas State is a big time rebuild job. Uh, you know, you lose big first, then you lose close, then you win close. And, and are they going to be able to uh, take two and ten and uh, several close losses and turn those into close wins in 2021? And, you know, unorthodox recruiting situation this year, but there's some talent there. I, I saw some things to like with Brady McBride at quarterback. He's a kind of a heart attack on every single play, and, and you don't know if he's going to uh, it's going to result in an 80 yard touchdown or a pick six. Or that is an you know. accurate description of Brady McBride. <laughs> it's it's he's he's kind of you know he'll definitely uh, 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 make things interesting. Yes, but then they brought in Ty Evans, who uh, you know transferred from NC State. Didn't play at all there, but is the highest rated player to ever sign now with Texas State. So, you know, maybe that job is not completely uh, Brady McBride's from, from here on out. So, you know, there were some reasons to be excited about the receiving core. They do lose Jeremiah Hadel, but Marcel Barbie did some good things. Javon Banks uh, had some good games. Travis Graham showed some promise and, and brought in a ton of Juco guys last year at that spot. And, and then, you know, brought in some P5 transfers this year who I think are going to be in the mix to be, you know, that, that top receiver uh, or at least, you know, bring them multiple, multiple options. Jeremiah Hawkins from Cal, Waydell Jones from Wake Forest, who's been on campus for a year there. So, uh, you know, there, again, it's all potential. It's all uh, reasons for optimism. We have to see how it plays out. But I think Texas State, partly because there's some statistical, uh, you know, uh, there, there actually are some things we can reference for some real on-the-field signs of improvement. Yeah, it didn't result in wins, but yards per play, 55, isn't terrible. 76th in yards per pass attempt, 72nd in success rate on offense, 80th in EPA per play, 72nd in points per drive. Texas State, according to the teams that we're talking about today, is by far the most consistent offense. You know, there's there's a discussion to whether or not South Alabama was the best offense of this group, but Texas State was certainly the, the most consistent offense. And then there are some, you know, semi-decent uh, defensive, at least in this group, uh, statistics as well. They're in the top 100 in yards per play allowed, in the top 100 yards per pass attempt allowed, uh, and, and, you know, and, and in the, the low triple digits and a couple of the others. But uh, they're going heavy on the transfers. They're bringing ex- experience. They're bringing in talented guys ton of production returning in a lot of different positions. So Texas State is is very similar to South Alabama, I think, and, and they're going to be in the mix to make a push for a bowl game. And, and Jake Spavisol needs it because he hasn't won, uh, you know, in his first two years. They need to show, uh, you know, some progress in that win, win column. I think they can do it, and I think that they're going to have one of the best offenses in the Sun Belt and could be a, a pretty exciting unit uh, as a whole. I, I think that the offense has got the potential to take a big step forward. Yeah, Xavier, what do you think about Texas State? Obviously a weird recruiting class, like we mentioned, uh, at you know Nick mentioned at the top of the show, they really con- uh, concentrate on the transfer portal instead of the recruiting class. So uh, the number doesn't look good, but they have potential. So how, how do you see Texas State going in 2021? 
Yeah, I, I really like Texas State going into 2021. I think this is a team that you're absolutely right, focused on the transfer portal. And that is not only a a good thing for immediate impact, but I also think that's partially a kudos to what you currently have on the field. Uh, you know, when you when you go when you dig that deep into the transfer portal and pick up nine transfers and you say to yourself, essentially, the guys that we have, we like, you know, we're just trying to add some depth and add some quality to certain positions. And that's essentially what you're saying. And so I really like what Texas State did here. And I think that they're one of those teams, like Nick said, that can be in that middle of the pack, you know, five, six win ball clubs. If we really look at it and, you know, two and ten last year, obviously not impressive. Uh, but I mean. Nick said it too. The, the first two games could have easily been wins for them. And now you're looking at a four and four and six last year. They could have beaten Boston College on the road. You know, that could have been a win for them as well. So when we look at it that way, this team could have easily been four or five wins last year. And, and I think personally, and we watched them a couple of times at the beginning of the year, offensively explosive. They just couldn't stop us. So, and that was their issue last year. I think, you know, a, a full offseason being able to go back and look at the film that they had last year. If I'm not mistaken, their their non-conference schedule this year is much easier than what it was last year. You know, it's not easy to play SMU or BYU, uh, as a, which was a part of their non-conference schedule going into last season. Uh, but I, I, I like Texas State. I think they're a team that is going to be fun to watch. They're a team that can win five to six games and a team that can compete for a bowl game. Uh, and like Nick said, this has to be the year that they do it. Because if you focus that much on the transfer portal, you're essentially saying to yourself as a head coach, and as a coaching staff, that the kids that I have brought in over the last two years are good enough to now transfer that into wins and into a bowl game. So Texas State bowl game, I think, is more than a, a possible thing. You're putting a lot of these teams in bowls here, Xavier. That's, that's, two. that's, that's, that's two. That's two. Okay. All right. They'll get out all the right. basement. They'll, they'll get out the basement. I mean, Nick's our silver lining guy here is all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, we don't have to put all these teams in balls. But uh, moving to the next team here, FIU. And FIU probably had the most COVID issues out of any of these teams. Mm -hmm. Only got in five games, which they were winless, 0-1-5. First winless season since two, uh, 2006. They had 17 players have uh, season-ending injuries in only five games, which is a, you know, it, that number's probably fairly, you know, average but not in five games that's a lot for five games uh they had they did have the third best recruiting class in school history uh and they did make a couple of moves here uh they hired uh promoted tim harris jr to oc and hired everett withers as their defensive coordinator um butch harris or butch davis excuse me had uh compared Hayden Carlson to Patrick Mahomes so there's a little hyperbole uh for this team here so uh they have a, a nice one in wide receiver Nate Jefferson being an all-conference freshman team selection so uh there's a little positivity here for FIU Nick um do, are you going to play silver linings here with this team or are they looking rough for 2021 so this FIU I think is actually uh, the first team Really, I guess to say, I don't. I don't necessarily think Temple's moving in the right direction. But the first in a in a few here <laughs> that I, I yeah. think is actually moving in the wrong direction, and uh, I think that this FIT FIU team was much worse than actually our numbers put them. I, I think they were probably uh, should have been in that bottom ten group. Probably should have been in the bottom five. I mean, this was just last year a bad football team and and there were 
reasons to explain some of it away. As you mentioned, you know, COVID being an issue, not only for them, but their opponents could not get, uh, you know, consistency in their schedule. They, they had their first two games postponed and they played two, then one canceled, then they played one in the, the uh, period of a month and it was against an FCS opponent and they lost that game. So, you know, you have to sit with that for, you know, three more weeks until you can play again, end up losing in in blowout fashion to your rival FAU. It it just, you know, quarterback situation was a mess all year. Stone Norton looked like the the most talented guy, the best guy, but couldn't hold down the job. Uh, Had a transfer from Maryland come in and and, uh, wasn't able to hold down the job. Kalen Wiggins, uh, you know, the most athletic of the the group, just couldn't get going, couldn't win the job. And, and, you know, just they, they couldn't find consistency in a lot of different areas. So it should not be a surprise at all that they uh, weren't able to, to put it get together on the field. But, you know, finished 118th in yards per play, 109th in yards per play net. Uh, so that that's probably my, my favorite stat overall, just as far as a, a just real quick, what's the strength of this team statistically? I think that does a decent job uh, and finished 109th there, finished 106th in EPA margin because they finished 119th in EPA per play on offense. They finished 114th in points per drive on offense. They finished 127th in yards per pass attempt, which is dead last in college football out of the 127 teams that played last year. 120th on offense in success rate. They could run the football, but they could not throw. Part of that was the quarterback situation, but part of it, they just offensively could not get things going, you know, consistently. And there were obviously some signs of, uh, you know, success on defense. The the best single, uh, the two best single uh, statistical rankings and and the ones that we look at yards per play allowed they finished 30th so that's that's as good as it gets for anybody we've talked about in any category yet and then an epa per play on defense 35th so the the defense certainly you know there are some building blocks there they did lose uh you know four contributors to the transfer portal and then Noah Curtis defensive end to the NFL draft. So, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be at full strength there defensively looking ahead to next year, but the secondary I think is, is going to all return and, and there's certainly reasons to be uh, optimistic there. You just, you, you kind of wonder, are they going to be able to, to rebuild uh, the pass rush a little bit? They're losing uh, multiple starters on the offensive line. And, and, you know, I don't know who they're bringing in yet at, at quarterback. I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of excitement for, uh, you know, a new recruit, but are you going to be able to, to rely on that guy immediately? We, we'll have to see. So there's, yeah, some silver lining, especially on defense, but I think the, the pure, uh, inability to get anything going offensively uh, makes me not very excited about FIU in, in 2021. I do think that there's maybe some reason for hope for the changes in uh, you know the, the play callers. I think that uh, you know Everett Withers has, has been a guy who you know had success and, and became a head coach. Uh, they're they're getting younger. 
on uh, you know the, the the offensive coaching staff. They brought in two you know African American play callers, which might be the only FBS program in the country uh, to have two African American play callers. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but but the list is very short. If it you know if if there are others, so uh, I think that's a reason for optimism as well. We'll see. You know, on the field, FIU was bad and didn't look like they're going to be getting better, especially on offense. But you mentioned they've been recruiting very well. You know, will we finally see that translate? They've actually recruited pretty well for a few years now under Butch Davis. So, uh, you know, they, they've been pretty disappointing from a standpoint of, of how they fared in our team performance ratings compared to their recruiting ratings, their talent ratings. So, We'll see. Maybe the new, you know, play callers on offense and defense will will help that. Not sure. Uh, but I, I just don't know that FIU, first time in four or five that we've talked about here, I don't know they're moving in the right direction. I, 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 I think that, you know, maybe they could surprise next year, but, but I would not be uh, shocked in any way to, to see this team start next season in the 120s in that 124, 125 type range and have a, a big hill to climb uh, to be competitive week in and week out in 2021. I mean, I'd agree. I, I think he inherited a, a pretty crappy situation from Ron Turner. Uh, but what I would say is that, you know, I, I think a lot of people want them to get back to the Mario Cristobal days uh, where they were more of a competitive team, more of a competitive outfit. Uh, I just think that when you look at FIU, it's a team that should do better being where they are in the state of Florida, you know, and I think when you have a team like FIU, you kind of fall victim to this situation where you're compared to your counterpart. And that just happens to be FAU who over the last couple of years has hit the top of the conference twice, if I'm not mistaken, in the last five years, yeah, uh, they, you know, and, and last year, even in a, what we would all say was a down year for them, they still made a bowl game. And I think when that's the constant thing that you're comparing yourself to and you're not even getting anywhere close, you're, you're, you're tied the, the, the writings on the wall, you hit around the head, you know, he goes eight and five and nine and four in his first two seasons, six and seven the year after that. Oh, and five last year. You can see if he has another really, really bad year, he's probably gone. Or at least that, hot, that seat just got a lot hotter. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if gone because I've I've talked before, or I, I I've been thinking about this. I don't know if I've actually uh, said it, but the 2020 season, I feel like my personal opinion of players and coaches and, and teams as a whole, I'm I'm going to try my best to only take positives because I don't know how many of the negatives we can really blame on the players specifically, the coaches specifically, the team as a whole, just because of all the outside factors. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I know that you do, you certainly don't want to uh, go 0 and 5 and that's not going to leave a good taste in anybody's mouth moving ahead to next season, probably not great for confidence and, and all of that. But, you know, is, is FIU an 0 and 5 team had, it been a normal season. Can we explain some things away? Not to just excuse it, you know, just for the, the you know, uh, just just to give an excuse. But uh, perhaps because everything was so weird last year, we can explain some things away. Uh, I don't know. 
FIU is, is a really, really tricky team. I feel like they're moving in the wrong direction, but because they do have talent and because Butch Davis has had some success, I struggle to not call him Butch Jones and vice versa. Yeah, <laughs> but, but because they've had uh, some success under him already, I, I feel like they can get back on track. So I hesitate to say, you know, if they go three and nine or, or four and seven or whatever next year that he'd be gone, but maybe, I mean, he's, he's, uh, you know, getting a little older and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so he might be, be ready to look away. But while we're waiting for uh, Scott to uh, rejoin us, he's had some internet issues i think we can go ahead and, and move on to to usf who, your favorite team uh, from two years ago <laughs> two years ago and and we've made a lot of improvements in our numbers we have uh learned a lot uh, over the past three years of, of doing this but early on you know usf was one of the first teams to uh, kind of embrace the transfer portal to to bring in some really uh you know high rated guys according to uh, 247 ratings and, and things like that that we do take into account in our numbers and our model. And, uh, you know, I, I thought coming into the 20, what was it, 2019 season, that USF was borderline, you know, top 40 type team, thought that they could compete with Wisconsin in the uh, season opener. And then they just got absolutely humiliated and it ended up being such a, a just a, a bad year. But our numbers were on USF every single week because. Partly, we learned some things. We were, we were, I think, calibrating experience a little too heavily, and that in turn really bumped up teams like USF, who were diving into the transfer portal so much. It, it made their players individually look so much stronger, and then collectively, because they had so many transfers, uh, it, it was able to, you know, raise their rating, inflate it. I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, too high. We did it, kind of you know, evened out a little bit because of SMU was in a similar situation and they actually did uh, play up uh, to to the level of, of the talented guys that they had coming into the transfer portal. But USF, somewhat similar to FIU in a lot of ways, I mean, a talent-rich state uh, has recruited pretty well. We're able to bring a, a pretty good class uh, this year. They are continuing to dive into the transfer portal. They brought in uh, Jerron Williams from Miami, you know, started as a redshirt freshman a couple of years ago there for the Hurricanes, has had, it, it sounds like, some immaturity issues behind the scenes. I believe he was suspended for a game uh, in, in 2019. And so hopefully, you know, moving in the right direction there uh, can, you know, get a change of scenery, get his head on straight and and play up to the level of his talent, which was, uh, you know, enough to, to become a starting quarterback for uh, a big time. There were a lot of high expectations for Miami in, in 2019. So, uh, you know, that coupled with, uh, you know, Antonio Greer was an all ACC uh, linebacker as a junior, led the team in tackles and tackles for loss and sacks was all over the field. And that included a couple of targeting ejections where he missed basically uh, the bulk of, of second halves of, a mul- of multiple games. But, uh, you know, th- this is a team that will lose a lot of talent as well. They, they uh, were a pretty uh, highly rated secondary, according to our numbers. Most of the year, they did have some, some injuries and some opt-outs. Uh, but, you know, USF ranked among the highest in, in uh, the AAC in our uh, defensive back 
rankings for, for most of the year. And, and among this list has the second best group of defensive backs as far as our individual player uh, ratings go. They're 68th right now. Uh, only Vanderbilt was better, and Vanderbilt, is, as we've mentioned, is recruited at a top 50 level, yep. you know, basically for, for a while now. So uh, they're, you know, are going to be losing Mike Hampton to the NFL draft, are going to be losing KJ Sales. Uh, Nick Roberts is a guy that entered the transfer portal during the season, a former starter. Uh, Bentley Sanders is a starter entered the transfer portal as well. He's since landed at Nevada. So, uh, you know, there, there's some turnover there. That strongest position group, according to most of our numbers, uh, is, uh, is uh, you know, seeing some, some, some changeover. And that's a little bit concerning. A lot of new faces at quarterback, and, and they just, similar to FIU, couldn't get things consistent at quarterback. They had Jordan McLeod. He would lose the job to uh, Noah Johnson, the transfer. Uh, he couldn't quite hold it, was was more successful as a runner, and, and uh, couldn't quite get going. Katarius Marsh, true freshman, you know, played a, a bit, but wasn't able to nail that job down as well. So USF is a team – somewhat similar to FIU again, that it's difficult to get a read on. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're moving in the right direction, but again, the recruiting success as it is, yeah. uh, Jeff Scott has, I think, some potential as a uh, head coach. And then, uh, you know, they they really hit the transfer portal hard and brought in some, mm-hmm. some high-level P5 guys. Will it work out this time? It tricked our numbers a couple of years ago, but yeah. – in addition to Jaron Williams, they've got uh, Jaron Mangum, who uh, just la- earlier this week mentioned might be the best running back available in the transfer portal. He's now at USF. They bring in Matthew Hill, who played both wide receiver and corner at mm-hmm. Auburn. They brought in uh, L- uh, Latrell Williams from Tennessee, who played last year. Yusuf Terry this week from Baylor. So the offense, I think there's reason to, to think that they'll take a step forward and then uh, brought in Christian Williams, who was a high, high level four star yeah. uh, recruit from Miami. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a couple of, of new faces as well. Will Jones from Kansas State. So we'll just have to see. We'll have to see how those play out uh, on, on both sides of the football. But I think there are some reasons to be optimistic, but I, I wouldn't say that I expect USF to be bowl eligible next year. And I think finally our numbers are, are very, very skeptical of USF, obviously into the triple digits now and don't expect them really to rise ahead of, of uh, 2021. So, yeah, I mean, USF is one of those weird ones again, where you look at a team in, in Florida that has all the talent in its backyard. I mean, USF is one of those teams that you expect to be a good recruiter, and they are for for, for their level. You know, they they ranked top five in their conference again this year. They did the same thing last year. Um, you know, they they ranked above teams who finished higher than them. And funny enough, I, I don't know if you've noticed, Nick, um, Tulsa is bottom. Of, of the AAC in recruiting and they've only signed seven kids, but we'll, we'll get to them another time. But I just thought it was funny that in, in looking at that, but with US, USF is once again, one of those odd teams that recruits well, brings in a ton of talent and may still end up three and nine. And, and we can't necessarily, and we haven't, we, and we've been able to put our finger on it more so now than maybe in the past, but they're still a very frustrating team to understand that from, because once again, you understand that how much talent that they have and how much talent that they bring in. You hit it right on the head. They just brought in a four-star guy. They're able to bring in all of these guys. 
that should contribute to them right away. Um, I don't think any of them are pending appeal at the moment um, and, and should be first day starters or at least first day uh, contributors to their team. And all of that being said, they could still end up, you know, in a, in a very bad situation starting next year. I mean, their non-conference schedule isn't really easy like next year. They go to NC State, they play Florida, they play, and then they go at BYU. Hmm. Those aren't winnable games. All three of those, in my opinion, are toss-ups, and they're only guaranteed win. It's Florida A&M. Outside of that, you're really looking at a schedule where they're going to have to win in their conference. They're going to have to compete with the likes of SMU, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, Temple, as we've talked about on here as well. And I don't know if they're going to be able to compile enough wins from the from their conference schedule to reach a bowl game. So once again, do I think do I think USF is bad enough to go? You know, one and eleven. No, I think three and nine, four and eight is probably what they will be. Even though talent wise, they should probably be a bowl team every year. But that talent has not been able to turn into wins as of late. Yeah, I, I agree completely, and and uh, I I hadn't really looked too closely at the schedule yet, but you are absolutely right. I mean, it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah. FA, uh, FAMU, and East Carolina is winnable, and Temple probably winnable, but they got a brutal draw out of the West yeah. or, or the Western teams. There is no West anymore, but SMU, Houston, and Tulsa. Even though Tulsa, as you mentioned, low in the, the recruiting ratings this year and lost you know some of their best players, still going to be a difficult team to beat. So I think three and nine might be the ceiling you know, four and eight, maybe the, if, if everything goes right. So we shall see, but it, it uh, does sound like Scott is having uh, <laughs> continued internet issues. So we are going to wrap up the show here without him. Uh, but finally on our list, one uh, eleven, Louisiana tech, who is a bowl team. Scott mentioned it earlier in the show, five and five uh, last year, actually a winning record in yeah. conference USA play four and two, but they, they dipped this far in our ratings. And I didn't mention this when we really started going. And, and if this is your first time with us, uh, the reason teams are, are ranked here as they are, why we're talking about these particular teams in this order, these are our end of season power ratings. So if there were to be a game on February you know, 6th, Saturday, February 6th, uh, we would expect Louisiana Tech to be favored on a neutral field against all the teams that are ranked behind it, and they would be an underdog against all the teams ahead of it. And, and the way that they fell this far, despite that 500 record and winning record in, in uh, conference play, is because they had so many guys opt out at the end of the year, and they also had a just devastating injury to their, their starting quarterback, Luke Anthony. So uh, it's because, you know, they, they lost Justin Henderson to the NFL draft before the season was over, Adrian Hardy to the NFL draft before the season was over, uh, Donovan uh, Campbell, the offensive lineman, right guard starter, uh, would not play if, if there were a game next week. And so they are, are somewhat uh, artificially – weak compared to where we expected them all year. And Louisiana Tech is a number is a team that our numbers loved week in and week out. Uh almost to to uh our detriment because they they didn't even though they were competitive and, and won a lot of games uh compared to everybody else we talked about so far, uh didn't do particularly well against the spread in, in 
all of those games. So uh, they they were a, a little bit of a thorn in my side. I was I was <laughs> getting a little frustrated toward the end of the year or, or middle of the year when we were always on Louisiana Tech and they were always in that all three agree where our three different models kind of lined up. And so they were basically an automatic bet each week. And, and uh, man, it, 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 you know, took, took some losses with that, with that, but uh, overall, you know, they are a team that has had success under skip holds, but they're undergoing a, a lot of roster turnover, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Talked about Justin Henderson, Adrian Hardy. I'm not sure if Luke Anthony is, is going to be healthy enough uh, to be back in the mix as a starting quarterback next year. Aaron Allen did play a bit, was able to, to keep the competition going with him uh, week in and week out for that. Uh, starting spot, but this is a you know potential uh, for another you know graduate transfer quarterback situation. Louisiana Tech, I think, absolutely could bring one in. They did bring in a graduate transfer at running back, Marcus Williams Jr., who was in that you know running back by committee at Appalachian State, has had some success, put up you know six total production points. Uh, according to our numbers, just based on individual game performances over the course of his career there at App State, where he wasn't even the, the go-to ball carrier for, for his time there, but could be in that role for Louisiana Tech, who has had some highly productive running backs in the past and, and under this uh, this coaching staff as well. They were able to bring in uh, one of the better offensive linemen at ULM, Samuel Williams, probably going to be a starter there at right tackle. Uh, they uh, you know, have hit the transfer portal hard to kind of boost up the secondary, was very inexperienced coming into 2020, but B.J. Williamson became a uh, All-Conference USA safety, uh, brought in Khalil Ladler, uh, D.J. Brown as, as uh, transfers who did play last year. Uh, you know, those guys were, were uh, transfers from P5 schools, Virginia Tech and Penn State. And then they hit Elijah Hamilton from Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and uh, Braylon Buchanan from Tennessee. Those guys are probably going to be starters as well. So at least as far as talent goes, raw talent, uh, we expect that secondary to, to be pretty good next year. And then uh, linebacker, depending on, I think, Trey Baldwin is coming back. He's a senior, has that extra eligibility, but he was an all-conference performer. And they had a, a true freshman All-American, Tyler Grubbs, who was just highly, highly productive as a linebacker last year. So it should be a, a an experienced unit. You know, they're in the middle. Uh, they will be losing Milton Williams early to the NFL draft, the defensive tackle. But – Basically, everybody else in, in the front seven returns, and then we expect the entire secondary uh, to return unless a couple of those uh, seniors do end up moving on. But defensively, Louisiana Tech looks good on paper. A lot of turnover on offense, uh, but this is a defense that you know finished 76 in yards per play allowed, 91st in yards per pass attempt allowed, 92nd in success rate against, uh, 71st, one of the higher ratings of anybody we'll talk about this year, uh, this week in EPA per play on defense. So, uh, in addition to experience, you know, we're able to show some promise on the defensive side of the ball last year. Maybe they'll be able to get back to a bowl game in 2021. I think that certainly is in the realm of possibility. Uh, you know, expectations might be a little bit lower this year. Hopefully our numbers aren't, you know, I, I just feel uncomfortable when our numbers like a team every single week. Uh, but 
uh, yeah, it's it's uh, a reason, you know, to, to think that this is probably a little bit better team than our numbers suggest right now. I would expect them to be in the 80s probably in our preseason rankings going into next year. And they've got some winnable games. I mean, you know, Southeast Louisiana, North Texas is winnable. Tough non-conference schedule. Three uh, pretty big, you know, opponents, Mississippi State, uh, SMU, and, and NC State. But Conference USA is wide open. I, I think that, you know, four or five wins probably are a, a pretty good bet. And then in the mix uh, to get back to a bowl game next year. Yeah, and I think that Louisiana Tech definitely agrees with how you feel about their returning starters. When you look at their recruiting this year, you know, they only bring in nine kids total. Uh, and I think, and the four transfers you talked about, I think you hit it right on the head. I think Louisiana Tech also feels that you that you know they are bringing back enough talent to compete in their respective conference. What I will say is when you do look at the schedule, uh, I mean, we, we just talked about Brutal just a second ago. I don't know how NC State continues to schedule these teams. Uh, you know, they're on their schedule as well. Um, they, they play Southeastern Louisiana. That should be a win for them. Uh, North Texas, I don't know. Uh, we just talked about Old Dominion possibly being a win there. Uh, I, I'm looking at the four or five win range again for them. I don't think that they'll be bowl eligible necessarily. They may be able to scratch out a few wins over some teams here, uh, maybe over a Rice. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go on that kind of ledge. But I will say, I think Louisiana Tech is going to be a fun team to watch, especially defensively. I think that's going to be their only problem, though, is offensively. They bring back so little of their returning production that I think that they're going to really struggle there. And maybe their defense could carry them for the first couple of weeks. But at some point, it's college football. you got to put points up on the board. And I don't know if they're going to have the capacity to do that week in and week out in their conference, which has been pretty decent defensively over the last couple of years being led by teams like Marshall. So I think that you know Louisiana Tech is going to struggle from that perspective. And I don't know that without that kind of an offensive production, if they can just rely on their defense in a heavily defensive conference as it already is. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll go and say that they can get four to five wins this year. I don't know if they'll be able to reach that sixth or seventh to make them certify a bowl eligible, but maybe they squeak in at five and seven and get invited to a bowl game anyways. Yeah, so that uh, will will wrap us up. Uh, it's been a long time since I've, I've uh, closed out a show, but uh, <laughs> Scott's internet is still uh, acting up and, and hopefully he'll get that figured out. Cause I think he's bought, you know, three or four more shows to do, uh, this weekend and, and, uh, all you guys stay busy, but, uh, you know, Louisiana tech, a good spot to, to finish with our, our first bowl team in our, mm -hmm. our uh, end of season power rankings here. But, uh, we are going to be closing out, uh, the triple digits basically next week. So uh, there will be a few more power five teams on the list, a couple of more, or at least one more uh, winless team. Arizona is next up for us. Uh, but, uh, you know, then we're, we're starting to get into some really interesting situations. I mean, you guys always, you and Scott always want to talk about who's on the hot seat. Got to think Dino Babers at Syracuse mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. uh, very much on the hot seat. And, and then, you know, uh, Lovey Smith, his time ended, uh, his, his time ran out there at Illinois. So is Brett Bielema going to be able to get that team in a, uh, you know, moving forward in uh, 2021? We'll be able to talk about that next week as we, you know, start to get a little bit more power five action and, and then starting to talk about more consistent, you know, bowl, uh, at least contending teams at the, the group of five levels. So we will get to that next week uh, for Scott uh, and uh, for Xavier. 
Uh, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, if you are uh, able or, or interested, we, we certainly would appreciate your support on Patreon, patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge. If you have questions about things that we offer there, please do reach out to us uh, anytime uh, to me on Twitter at CFP Winning Edge for Xavier at Xavier underscore Trish uh, at Bogman Sports for Scott. Uh, and we will see you next week. Uh, as Scott says, Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.